Be seated. <clears throat> I appreciated getting the invitation from Ray uh, Holden to uh, come and minister in Gary's absence. Uh, I've been wanting since I left Ingleside. My wife and I have been visiting around the churches uh, and at Metro Presbytery, trying to see how they're doing. Many of them I had an opportunity to help in the uh, grounding of those churches. And uh, it's been a, been a great blessing to do that and then to preach here and there since my last Sunday at Ingleside was the first Sunday in March. I understand my young friend Nate Bernard was here last week with his rope. Nate was my intern while I was at uh, Ingleside, and uh, he's a dear friend and a dear brother in the Lord and has a challenging ministry right now with the Christian Doctors and Dentist Medical Association, uh, nationwide organization, but he's centered in Atlanta, and I'm sure you heard that last week. Noe Gary, as I do, I know he's a faithful preacher and teacher of the word, and I know he has taught you and will continue to teach you well, especially uh, on the topics that's before us today, the Lord's Supper. But before I have the, uh, read the scripture and uh, have the opening prayer, I want to kind of set the table as we used to say with our women's work the PCA, the denominational level, that hopefully will make the, the scripture and the worship this morning a little more meaningful to you. I, I think there's no doubt about it, at least to me, that God wants us, his people, to be knowledgeable as to what is going on in our world today. Such as it is, some of the things that are going on in the world today are, are very troubling. And he wants us, I believe, with, as he takes us through this process of renewing our minds, teaching us how to think more Christianly, he wants us to be able to recognize and carefully and sensitively address some of the issues that we're confronted with every day uh, on the news and just in life in general. Some of those issues that we think about have a tendency, if we're not careful and don't understand them, can knock us off course in our Christian life. They can knock us off course in our families. They can knock us off course in our churches. Because the enemy is not just out there, the enemy is in here too. And he certainly can knock us off course as he's doing, has been doing so effectively in our country. So I think very strongly that we need to know how to confront those issues, to think about them, to analyze them, and to evaluate especially those ideas or ideologies that are drawing us 
off our, off our pilgrimage, off our spiritual journey. And one of the ways that, that they operate is they draw us to what they call the newer, the bigger, and the better things. The more progressive, the better. They try to convince us. Always trying to change things. Now, change is not all bad. There are things that should be changed. But there are some things that shouldn't be changed. And we as Christian people need to know what those are. And how to discern the difference between what should change and what should not change. We call that in our philosophy and sociology the influence of modernity. The modern, which says the newer the better, the bigger the better, and so on and so forth. So I think we are challenged today, as never before even in my lifetime, to know the difference between what should and should not be changed and how those things should affect our lives. I don't think the church has been very effective in equipping and discipling its members, to know how to think about those issues, to know how to identify them, to know how to discern them. I think one of the reasons is that the church itself in general has become so worldly that it's no longer the salt and the light and no longer the basis of teaching within the kingdom of God. You know, it sounds good for us to be able to stand and and quote a man like Dr. Abraham Kuyper, who lived the turn of the century in the Netherlands. He was famous for many things. One of them was a saying that there's no area of our lives over which Christ has not said, mine. And I think we would agree with that wholeheartedly, but I'm not sure we understand it and understand the significance of even saying that. So, consequently, from my judgment, the church has been silent on far too many issues that it should have been addressing with its people. We haven't been as iron sharpening iron, as the Bible says, in helping one another to know what the issues are that we need to be concerned about. And how we need to deal with them. And you know friends. I think. And I say this very carefully. I think we're living in one of the most frightening times. That I've ever lived. Because we're living in a scary world. You know some of the things we're hearing about every day. Politically. Economically. Spiritually. I think spiritual warfare is being unloosed in our world today like we've never known it before when we're maybe the least equipped to recognize it and know how to handle it. But you know what? As I think about that, I also think about what God's Word says, that He appoints the time and the places where we're to live, Acts 17. Which means, if I realize that, I would not have wanted to live at any other time in history than today. I think it's challenging. I think it's exciting, even though I think it's frightening and scary. 
Survival is really the name of the game for us. But survival involves many things. First of all, it certainly involves the challenge for Christians to come together and to work together and to seek to make a difference for the Lord. I'm just so afraid that our churches are not making much of a difference in our culture today. We're not being the salt and light that's causing our culture to know what course we ought to be on that's not destructive. And that's, that's a shame because the church is God's central disciple-making agency, which is supposed to equip the saints to serve the Lord on a, on a day-to-day day basis. You know what that means is we can't settle for allowing our churches to be mediocre. Our churches need to be challenged to be as effective as they possibly can, which means you and I as members of the church can't just come to church and hang out. We've got to be actively engaged in living for the Lord in all of our life. Personal, family, business, culture. And we have to do that 24-7. Because Christianity is a life commitment. Today we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. As I've thought about it, there are many ways we could approach the Lord's table. But as I said, knowing Gary, I know he's taught you well the passages that relate to coming to the Lord's table. But I want to use a familiar passage of scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians 11 uh, that Paul used to bring us to the table. But I want to put a little different twist than we might normally think about it as we look into the word. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11 and I'll read like to read the whole chapter and chapter 10, as you'll see in a moment, but I'll settle for reading beginning at the 17th verse of 1 Corinthians 11. Let us hear the word of the Lord. But in the following instructions, Paul said, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe that in part. And so Paul is addressing that situation that's going on in the church of Corinth right now that's causing division and causing problems. And then if you look down to the 23rd verse, he said, uh, he's telling them what they're supposed to be doing. And he said, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And 
I'll stop there and pray that God will bless this reading and our hearing of his word from this 1 Corinthians passage. Let us pray. Father, we do ask you this morning to be with us. We ask you to teach us by your Holy Spirit the things you want us to know in order that we might be fully, as fully prepared as we possibly can to come to your table in a few minutes. We ask this to your honor and glory, to our spiritual welfare. In Jesus' name, amen. Thinking about this passage of scripture from 1 Corinthians 11, in its original context and knowing a little bit about what was going on in the church of Corinth, and also what's going on today, I'm aware because I try to read a lot of church surveys and analysis of our culture, things that are going on in the world, to, to be consistent with my opening words of challenge, to know what's going on in the world. And because my interest in the theological family is apologetics, particularly cultural apologetics, and I've had the privilege to teach uh, that topic many times in many places, not only in the pastorate, but in our seminaries and in our Bible schools. One of the things that I've realized in reading some of the trends and statistics today is that America, North America, is being troubled by more and more people who are illiterate. They don't know how to read. And they don't know how to think. You see, verbal skills and critical thinking are not being taught with any consistency in our educational systems, in in our schools, and oftentimes not even in our churches. So it doesn't take a genius, as we look at our culture today in America, to realize The truth of what that says, that we're not living in a word-oriented culture. Let's face it, we like images and symbols far more than we like to read words. It's a lot simpler. Just to look at a picture, you heard the saying, "A, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, maybe so or maybe not. Depends on the picture that it presents. But you know, again, as I was indicating a few minutes ago, I think American people in general are very naive when it comes to images and when it comes to symbols and knowing what they mean and how to interpret them and so on. So it has been said on these many of these surveys that I've looked at that America is illiterate as far as reading and words are concerned, but I would take that a step further. I think we're illiterate where symbols and images are concerned today thanks to our electronic age and all that's connected with that. You know, we're living in a moment in which the philosophy of postmodernism has permeated our culture. 
And one of the attributes of postmodernism is there is no truth. Therefore, words really have no meaning. Or, or they can mean anything you want them to mean. You determine what a word means. But you know, we, do, we can do that same thing with images. We can do that same thing with symbols as we do with the word. So I don't think there's any doubt about it that we're not living in a word-oriented culture. We're living in a visually-oriented time in the history of our people. But the real question we have to ask and be able to answer is do those images, those symbols, correspond to God's reality, to God's truth? That's why we need to know how to evaluate symbols and images and understand the message that they proclaim to us. But we have to be careful in doing that, that we don't go to extremes. One of the extremes we could go to is we could try to denounce all the images and all the symbols uh, that surround us. Or we could go to the opposite extreme and just accept those images and symbols wholesale without ever stopping to say, what do they mean? What do they communicate to us? But you know how our brain works. The truth is we think in symbols. We think in images. But in order for those symbols and images to be significant, they require words. Because it's words that enable us to evaluate the symbols and the images and all, everything else around us. And we get into trouble... Again, when we try to disassociate those symbols and images from a word interpretation. That's what happened in the Roman Catholic Church. If you remember during the Dark Ages before the days of the Protestant Reformation, they had the images and they had the symbols and the icons and, and that became reality for them regardless of how they were interpreted. So we must learn how to thoughtfully and carefully evaluate the symbols and the images that we do have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Because if we don't know how to understand symbols and images, you know what they can do? They can manipulate us without us even being self-consciously aware of that. They can give you the wrong emphasis and the wrong picture of reality. I guess what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that we need to have a deep appreciation for words and know how to use words correctly The late French sociologist Jacques Ellou once made a statement about America. He said, we must learn to resist the tendency in our American culture to see but not hear. To show but not speak. In other words, we must be people 
who do not hate the word, but who love the word and know how to properly use it. Whether we're talking about the word with a capital W, the word of God, or the little w, words in general. And what I'm saying can be connected and should be connected with our observance of the Lord's Supper. You know, in a few minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to come to the table and participate in the Lord's Supper. This is a symbolic meal. The table contains symbols. But our coming is not going to be symbolic. It's going to be real. But we need to know what we're doing in coming. I appreciate as I was looking at the bulletin this morning that they used the, used the word mystery in connection with the, the Lord's Supper. You know, I think we can catch something about where we're going with this if we realize that the word sacrament is not found in the, in the Bible, at least in the Greek New Testament. It's in the Latin Vulgate, which is the Latin translation from the Greek New Testament. And the word they use to tra- that would translate sacrament is mystery. We're coming to this table this morning, which is surrounded with the deepest of mystery. And we'll never understand all of it. But we can understand what God wants us to understand if we listen to his word. And that's why we must not separate the symbols from the explanation in the scripture. You see, when Jesus said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. What did he mean when he said that in that upper room? Do this. He was referring to the breaking and the eating of bread and the drinking from the cup. Do you remember that setting on the night before Jesus was arrested and put on trial and which led to his death on the cross? He was with his disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. They had just eaten a regular, ordinary meal, which in that culture was somewhat of a festive occasion. And after supper, Jesus arose and he took a piece of bread and he showed it to his disciples and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They didn't know what he was talking about because Jesus had not yet died. But they heard his word. And a little while later, he took the cup And he held the cup before them and said, this cup contains my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. So obviously the supper that night was no ordinary supper. Not at all. It was a meal that was filled with deep mystery that the disciples didn't understand and that we still 
do not fully understand, even today, though we live on this side of of the cross. But we will have understanding if we listen to the word of God and its explanation as to why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, In in Bible history, symbols uh, played a unique role in the life of God's people because it took people at the present moment in in time and related them to the past. But it also took them in the present moment and helped them to anticipate and relate to the future. So symbols in the Bible bring together the past, the present, and the future. For example, Jesus said in Matthew 26, I will, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my, in my Father's kingdom. The mystery is, when Jesus said that, he was about to leave his disciples and to return to heaven, to his heavenly Father, where he had come from. But he had to do that by the way of the cross. And the disciples, again, that's why they were fuzzy about what Jesus was talking about, do this in remembrance of me. So he instituted that night the Lord's Supper in that upper room as symbolic, a symbolic reminder of who he was, what he was doing, and where he was going. And that's the mystery that surrounds this supper. I've, I've been told that the reason it's covered was to keep the flies off the elements, not, but it, I think the covering can also symbolize mystery that the word is supposed to open up to us as we come to the table. You see, in the elements on this table, the bread and the cup, they're not merely icons. They're not merely symbols that are divorced from reality, but they're there to help us keep reality in focus in our lives. So Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Because they symbolize his spilled blood for us on the cross. His shedding his blood for us, giving his life that we might have life. You know what? Because of what these symbols on the table symbolize, we are not only to think about Christ's death on the cross, we are to realize that he was raised from the dead and that one of the mysteries that surrounds the table is that while Christ ascended to heaven, he's also present here with us this morning. He's the host of this table. And I want you to experience God's presence with us this morning. As we come to the Lord's table, we're meeting with the sovereign God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just a memorial service, as some have tried to Define it to be. It's, it's an act of worship in which we remember the Lord, but not only remember his death, but remember his presence with us 
right now. And you know, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. I believe that. But I believe in a very special way when we come to the Lord's table, God is uniquely and mysteriously present with us. That's why later on in in this passage in Corinthians, Paul erects a warning to those who take this unworthily. Not understanding what they're doing. So these are not merely empty words, empty symbols, the bread and the cup. You see, everything in the Bible in one sense or another points to Calvary, the cross. The cross is the center point in history. Everything centers around Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Savior. His shed blood. The stripes that he endured for us. That's what he wants us to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, understand what you're doing when you come to this table. That's one of the reasons in our denomination why we do not embrace the doctrine of Pado community, uh, communion. Understanding and belief are essential to beginning to cut through some of the mystery that God gives us in this supper. And you know what it means if we listen to what he says and we come to this table, we're going to be free to obey his wonderful law because Christ has set us free. And we're going to be free from bondage to man-made laws that hold us in slavery. But there's one other thought I want you to remember as we come to the table this morning. As we come to this table in faith and with understanding of what we're doing and knowing and remembering Christ, not only are we to remember that we're bonded to him in faith, And not only is he bonded to us, but we're also bonded to each other. This is a communion. That's why we say that communion, the Lord's Supper, is not to be privately administered. It makes no sense taking these elements by ourselves. It's to be done in the context of the church. And that's why we emphasize that to take communion, you have to not only believe in Christ, but you have to be a member of Christ's church. Remember what Paul says also in Corinthians, that Christ's body is one body, but it's made up of many parts, made up of many members. Christ said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So as we're drawn to Christ through the Lord's Supper, we're also drawn to one another in this meal. Because we're bonded together. We're members of this family. And we're supposed to help and support and encourage one another. 
So let this meal as we enjoy it in a few moments remind us not only of the love and the forgiveness that God has for us in Christ, but let us also remember that that obligates us to show love and forgiveness to one another. That's why Paul's previous warning that I read about the division in the Corinthian church was causing great harm and great trouble. You know, one of the things that's so difficult for a person to experience is isolation. God said it's not good for us to be alone. That's why such as are saved are added to the church and become members of his body. And this morning, as we remember the blood and the the body of Christ, uh, as we come to the table, we need to be reminded that we're not alone. We're not isolated from one another. Because in Christ, we are grafted into him who is the vine. Now, What I'm saying to you this morning is this table is set not with empty, meaningless symbols which can become icons, an idol to an unknown God if we're not careful. These symbols of the bread and the cup remind us of Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. And they're intended to encourage us and to feed us spiritually for our, and give us food for our spiritual journey. That's why I titled the sermon as I did, Food for the Spiritual Journey. Because you and I are journeying to Celestial City. We're on our way to heaven. And we need nourishment along the way. And that's why the Lord said, don't do this just one time, but do this until I return regularly. Because we need that encouragement. We need that nourishment. We need that food. So don't allow the images and the symbols in our world around us today distract us from these two symbols of Christ's body and Christ's blood. Now what I've said this morning hasn't taken away the mystery from this table. But I hope it's reminded us that for our participation in this supper, we have to listen to God's explanation of what it's all about. And that has to be foremost in our mind and heart as we come together this morning as a family to enjoy this holy and And sacred meal. And as I said, I believe God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is more present with us at this table than at any other time in our lives. That's why it carries that significant warning about coming to the table. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to pray. We're going to sing a hymn of preparation. And we're going to do exactly what Jesus said to do. We're going to meet with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit and one another in his body at this table this morning.
I pray that it will be a great experience for you spiritually as we come. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, how grateful we are that in the course of our Christian life, you have known in your wisdom what we need to encourage us and to keep us on the journey to heaven. And this meal is certainly one of those things. And I pray this morning, as we do come together to the Lord's table, that we will eat and drink in a worthy manner, understanding and believing the significance of what we're doing. And may it be a blessed experience for us, Lord, and may it help us to be more discerning, more spiritually alive, and more willing to reach out and to serve one another. Christ has served us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The hymn of preparation.